And I'm grateful to, uh, to be able to speak this morning about something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, because I, I, I don't know if you know this or not about me, but I'm a middle school PE teacher. Um, and a lot of you might be thinking to yourself, why would you want to do that to yourself? But if I have to teach, I'm going to teach PE, right? Uh, and uh, I, I genuinely, I love that age group. I love middle schoolers 10 to 13, 14-ish. Um, it's the craziest time period of their life. They hate everyone and love everyone, and I'm the enemy, and I'm the worst, but I'm the best, and uh, I'm their best friend, and I'm their worst enemy, and I'm the reason that they hate the world, but I'm also the reason they love everybody. Like, if you want a, a new day every day you work, work with middle schoolers, because they're never the same from Monday to Friday. You will have a completely different person. So, it's very interesting, and I love my job. I do. I love working with young people. Uh, I've been a, a, a youth pastor uh, for years now. Um, I, I get the privilege of working with our high school people here. And you might say, why not middle schoolers? Because I teach middle schoolers, right? So I'd rather take a break, you know, whatever. So I, I, love, I love young people. Um, and uh, I guess I am kind of a young person. I'm not 30 yet. I'll be 30 in a year, so then I guess I can't call myself a young person. But I am kind of, yeah, I am kind of in this weird in-between, right? Like, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm, you know, I'm a man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown-up, right? I'm a big boy. Um, but I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a super adult, I don't feel like. I feel like I'm in this weird in-between, um, so this morning, I want to talk about something that I see on a daily basis, working with young people, um, specifically in you know, public schools, um, unchurched youth, right? Un- unregenerate, unbelieving youth. And trust me, they'll, they'll tell you that they are unbelieving, right? Um, but I want to share this crisis that we have on our hands. And um, if you don't have you know, anybody in your life that is 9 to 25, you know, that Generation Z, um, you can still reach them. And not you can still reach them. Uh, if you're a Christian, you're required to reach them. Right? You don't get to just write off generations because they're crazy or they're different from you. Right? We are required by Christ to, to go and preach the Gospel to every nation tongue and kindred, right? Every person out there. That includes the crazy middle schoolers, right? So, let's talk about how do we bridge the gap between generations. Our generation and this this one that's coming up. So, I want to start in the Word of God, of course. Um, I have a lot of Scripture today, and uh, I used to, like, find one verse and just kind of like have that be my foundation and go. But I've found that it's better if you hear the Word of God than the words of Christian, right? So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to read a lot of Scripture today, okay? So hold on tight. This is Titus chapter 2, um, and it's the whole, uh, the whole chapter. Uh, it's a short chapter, 
but it's a very, very important chapter for where we are in our world, where we are in the time frame that we have as living beings here on earth. This is a crucial time that we're alive. Crucial time that we're alive. So, what do we do? Right? So, Titus chapter 2, and I'm going to read here because I can't see. But as for you... But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Or other versions say, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Teach the things that are proper. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. That's the men. Here's the women. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Verse 6, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. You see the common theme here is self-control? And I don't know if you've noticed or not, looking at the world, The one thing that we're lacking in our world is self-control. Do what you want. Live how you want. Go where you want. Say what you want. Be with who you want. Be who you want. Right? Be whatever you want to be. Just live your life. One of the popular sayings, it's not so popular anymore, but it used to be when I was a kid 10 years ago, is YOLO. Right? You only live once. So live it up. Right? This is the only life you have. So don't waste it in church Don't waste your life following rules. Don't waste your life in college or school or trying to do right and all this stuff. Man, you can do that when you're old or when you're dead. Just live it up now. YOLO. So, self-control is the theme here. So, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Now remember, these are the younger men. They're to be the model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Have you ever talked to a young person that doesn't love God, doesn't go to church? You can usually hear it in their speech. What they say, how they talk, what they talk about, what they joke about. That's usually one of the first things. And it was for me when I was a young person that I did not grow up in church. I like to say I grew up around church, right? We were, we were Christer Christians. We would go to Christmas and Easter and that was it. Uh, or when my grandparents would have a thing or whatever. So the, one, the, the, the thing that God dealt with me first on was my language the foul mouth that I had. 
And that is, in my opinion, one of the quickest ways you can find if somebody is, is saved or not, how are they talking? Right? And if you are saved and you're still dealing with that struggle of talking like the world and acting like the world and saying whatever you want, I don't want you to think you're not a Christian, but let me challenge you to, to speak as if Christ were right beside you. Right? Because if I were to say some of the things I said around my mom, I can only imagine what would happen. But if I were to imagine if, if I were talking and Christ were right beside me, would I be ashamed of what I was saying or would I not care? And that to me is a good gauge of where you stand with the Lord. So, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about you. Alright, so this talks about uh, bond servants. Um, back then there were people that worked for people for a certain period of time. Another word that we use in the Bible is slave, but that's a very like misunderstood version of the word slave. These people weren't just slave hands. They had a set period of time where they would work with someone and live with the family and, and be part of their family. So Titus here is, is talking about that. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people even middle schoolers. Amen? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. YOLO, baby. Live it up. Do what you want. We are to renounce worldly passions and to live, here it is again, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of y'all are ready for Jesus to come back? Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But until then, how are we to live? Until then, what does God expect of you? Until Jesus shows up and wipes all of this out, and creates a new heaven and a new earth, how are we to live? Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It's that simple. Now, can you do that on your own? Absolutely not. No. It's only, only by the indwelling, the continual filling of your life and your speech and your actions by the Holy Spirit of God. It's the only way it's possible. And that's only possible by being born again. By believing in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're almost done with Titus, I promise. Who gave Himself, Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is a light unto our path and a lamp to our feet. God, speak through this earthen vessel today and say what only You want to say. Nothing in my own strength, nothing under my own power. Only You, God. We love You, Lord. We thank You in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, there, in, my opinion, in my opinion, there are two main characteristics that would define this young generation from ages 9 to 25. That's Generation Z. Okay? I'm a millennial. Um, my generation is part of the reason our world is so crumbling right now. It's terrible. But my parents are Generation X, and I blame them, right? So it's not my fault. It's this woman you gave me, God, right? So every generation leaves their mark. And what's the mark of this generation? And unfortunately, um, I haven't seen a lot of super positive things, which is sad, right? Because there are some really awesome, awesome young people a part of this generation. But what is the mark of this generation? What will we remember 50 years from now about Generation Z when they were young people? And from what I can tell, apathy is the number one characteristic of this generation. Now, if you're from Pulaski County too, and you don't know what that word means, I looked it up and I'll help you out. So, the definition of apathy, right, is, there's two, uh, according to Webster's, uh, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. I googled it. Lack of feeling or emotion. Lack of feeling or emotion. Now, I'll talk about that here in just a second. Here's the biggie right here. Lack of interest or concern. And you might say, well, Christian, you haven't met my 12-year-old. They're the most emotional person I know. And I would say, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. But do they have that burning inside of them for the things that really matter? Do they have that emotional feeling about the excitement about things that are good, things that God say are good? How do you feel when I bring up Jesus? I don't care. How do you feel when I talk about someone doing wrong to someone, hurting someone? Doesn't bother me. Right? Here's some, here's some things that I hear often as a middle school PE teacher. I don't care. Hey man, you just, you just ran into her. Will you go say sorry? I don't care. Hey, that's not yours. Did you just, did, did you take that out of the lost and found? I don't care. Or doesn't bother me. Right? Whatever they do, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. Or what about this one? This is a lie I used to tell myself. So you can see every generation kind of... It's not hurting anyone. What I'm doing to myself and by myself, that's not hurting anybody, right? It's just me. Why do you care so much what I do? That one's huge. Why do you care so much what I do? 
Or what about this one? Why can't you just mind your own business? Let me tell you, I, I say this one a lot. I get paid for you to be my business, okay? <laughs> they pay me to care about you. Not enough. No, I'm just kidding. We live a very comfortable life. No, it, it's, it's my job. I said yes to this job to care about you because I care about you. And now that I've gotten to know you more, it's not just because it's my job, it's because I'm invested in your life. I care about you. I care about where you're going to be in 20 years. I care about where you're going to spend eternity. I care about what kind of friends you run around with. I care about you. That's why I care. That's why I want to know what you're watching. That's why I want to know what you're listening to. That's why I want to know what kind of stuff you're, you're looking at when nobody's around. That's why I care, because I care about your soul. I care about where you're going to spend eternity, either heaven or hell. I care. Whether you do or not. Unfortunately, I've had that conversation with so many young people. Whether it be about their, their soul, whether it be about their grades. I told a young man... It's about time that you start caring about your grades as much as your teachers care about your grade. I care. I care about the young people sitting in this room right now. I care about the young person that might be watching this today, right now, live, online. Because that's how they choose to do church. Let me encourage you. There's a whole better way to do church right here. In person, with people. So apathy. And because, of, because they don't care about anything, there's a hopelessness that has crept its way into this generation and grabbed a hold of them so tight that outside looking in doesn't seem like there's any hope. None. But I'm, I'm here to convince you otherwise of that today. So, hopelessness. I even looked that word up. Sorry, it's so small. Definition is having no expectation of good or success. No expectations. Uh, I don't read books. I'm sorry. The only book I can tolerate is the Bible. And um, even that I have to listen to sometimes, right? I'm not a good reader. I just don't like it. Um, but a book that I had to read back in the day was Great Expectations. Did y'all ever read that growing up? Was that the one with Pep in it? Yeah, or Pip. Pip, there we go. Pep is a, a soccer coach in England. So Pip. So I don't remember anything other than sitting in class, maybe 10th grade, 9th grade, and reading this, not saved, and reading the word Great Expectation. And I honestly, I remember thinking to myself, my only expectation is to get out of this class. My only expectation is to hopefully not fail, but I don't really care, right? Great expectations, I didn't have any, right? Having no expectation or good of good or success. You're not susceptible to remedy or cure. There's no cure for anything you've got going on, right? If, if you go to the doctor and they say you have this thing, 
and we can't get rid of it and you're just going to have to live with it or you've got X amount of years left. There's a sense of hopelessness there, right? Or how about this one? Incapable of redemption or improvement. I, I don't know about you, but if you looked at 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old Christian, me, um, you'd say, man, I, I don't know about that boy. I, that's going to be a tough one, right? If not to be redeemed, to just be improved. So, that's hopelessness. When you combine the two, you get what we see in our world today. Just look at these statistics. This is from the Walton Family Foundation. Uh, Gen Z, 9 to 25-year-olds, 42% are about as twice as likely, Gen Z, about as twice as likely as Americans over 25 to battle depression and feelings of hopelessness. So almost half of 9 to 25-year-olds are depressed. Battle depression. Almost half. Gen Z is three times as likely as Americans over 25 to say that their challenges are so severe that they thought they might be better off dead. I don't know about you, that that breaks my heart. That if you had... 109 to 25 year olds in here. 18 of them wish they were dead. And we are just sitting here on our high horse, wagging our fingers, saying, This generation, ah, when I was a kid, we did this. When I was a kid, we didn't do that. Yeah, you did. You just did it differently. You weren't perfect. I wasn't perfect. But their imperfect is just different than your imperfect. They can be saved. They can be redeemed. They can improve. The question is, are you going to give up on them? Here's some more statistics. This is from the Trevor Project, which is a very left-wing, very pro-LGBTQ movement group. But they've done some really good research on statistics within their community, right? So nearly 20% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ+. Nearly 20%. There are about six, so I did the math, right? There's about 68.6 million Gen Zers. They're called Zoomers, if you didn't know. So that's 13.7 million people identify in the LGBTQ community that are 9 to 25-ish. 13.7 million people. And this is just America. 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide last year. 45%. That's almost half of every 
young person that is in that community thought about ending their life. And you might say, well, that's that community, not my kid. They're not part of that community. So they, they came up with this word called cisgender. That's, I'm not going to get into all that, right? Let me translate it for you, right? So that word just means that you identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth. I'll just let that sink in. So you might say, well, that's my, my grandson, my son, my, ch- my daughter. They're not in that community. They're just what they, were de- what they were told they were at birth. That's what they are. Well, that was about 33% thought about ending their life. 14% of LGBT, excuse me, LGBTQ youth attempted suicide in the past year. And for the other crowd, it was about 1 in 10, about 10%, attempted suicide. So, do the quick math there, right? So that's about 6 million young people attempted suicide last year. Almost 7 million. 1% of our population, right? Ish. Is it real yet? The crisis that we have in this generation, is it real? So what do we do? So this generation, though they may appear hopeless, though they may say that there's no hope, every single one of them will eventually try to find hope in something. Right? I know I did, whether it was sports, or whether it was in relationships, or whether it was in friends, or whether it was in substance abuse, whatever it was, I tried to find hope myself. So this hopeless generation, this generation that's unredeemable, this this generation that is unhelpable, right? They too will eventually try to find hope. What will they try to find it in? They'll try to find it in relationships. Absolutely. Goodness gracious. How many kids I see walking through the hallways at Christiansburg Middle School, holding hands, hugging before class, kissing each other, whatever, is crazy. The amount of relationships, and not just friendships, but deeper than that, is insane. Everybody's dating somebody. Everybody's seeing somebody. These people have... I have... I have so many young people that confide in me that they've got like 30 girls just waiting for them to respond. And you know what's crazy? Is he, he kind of proved it. He showed me his phone. Like, it was crazy. Like, he's like, Coach, I got this girl. I got this girl. I got this girl. I got this girl. I was like, yeah, I used to say the same thing. He goes, no, look. And it was like, oh my goodness. Dude, stop. How many of y'all are familiar with like the self-discovery movement that's happening? So there's these things called deprivation tanks where it's like salt water and it's like an egg pod that has oxygen pumped into it and you go in and it's super dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face and there's no sound except for like the water and you just lay there and you float in this tank. There's no sound, no light, Nothing. It's just you in the dark. And these people go into these tanks 
for self-discovery. They try to find some kind of truth, right? Some people will even do drugs and then go into them. And I listened to this one guy who said that he had a celestial experience. He was transported through the galaxy, not in a human body, but my soul and my spirit was flying through the universe. And I was just looking at everything so just mind-blown at everything that was happening. And I knew at that moment that I was going to be famous. Really? And what's crazy is, I mean, he was right. Like, that video has like 100 million views and like, People are trying to find who they are. Self-discovery. And they'll use whatever community will accept them to do that. Whatever community. And you know, church is a community. But are we accepting? Do we welcome people? And then help them to live more like Jesus? Something to think about. So I don't know if you've ever done one of these personality tests... But uh, one of the most common questions I get asked as a PE teacher at Christiansburg Middle School is, Coach Four, what sign are you? What's your sign? And so often I want to say, I'm a Christian. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. Look, I know that I'm a Taurus, right? And what's funny is Becca has some students that ask her the same thing. She's like, I don't know. And they're like, well, when's your birthday? And she was like, May 2nd. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're a Taurus. What's your husband? And she was like, oh, he's April 29th, so I guess that's the same. And they were like, you guys are not compatible. (laughs) Like, they were shocked that we've been married for seven years. You're not compatible. But that's what they found their hope in, is these star constellations that were doing this during this month, and during your year, and, and now you are never going to get along with anybody, and that's just because I'm a Taurus. I'm sorry I punched you in the face. I'm just a Taurus. I'm sorry that you can't talk to me because I'm better than you because I'm a Pisces. They want hope inside. They want to be able to make sense of their life. And they use, instead of the Word of God... They use the words of these kooks that say because these stars were in this position in the universe at this time, you're a jerk. (laughs) Not my words. So astrology, have you all ever heard of the Enneagram? Incredibly popular in the world. Unfortunately, it's incredibly popular in the church. If you want to talk more about this, please, this is something I'm very passionate about. This has its roots in the New Age, in mysticism. Um, It is not just a personality test that puts you into nine groupings with some subgroupings. This is a test that tries to get you to be in contact with your inner celestial being that has existed for all eternity and is connected to the earth, to the universe, and how does your number relate to how you live as a celestial being here Grounded to earth. It's not a joke, man. And then there's the Myers-Briggs test, which is one of the most famous tests that there's ever been about how to learn about your personality. There's another one called the Big Five Personality Test. This one is 
Very interesting. Um, I don't know if you know who, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, but there's some very famous psychologists nowadays that are uh, using these five characteristics to help you figure out who you are. Openness, um, conscientiousness, is a big word. Conscientiousness, extroversion, how agreeable you are, agreeableness, neuroticism, how, how much of those five things are you, and that'll tell how your personality is. These kids love this stuff because it helps them understand the feelings that they're going through, what they're, what they're experiencing in life. Some people try to use uh, modes of escape, right? So whether it be social media or video games or alternate reality, right? The AR things. Um, there's a movie called Ready Player One. Has anybody ever seen that movie? Ready Player One? It's a really good movie. Um, but it's about these people who their lives are absolutely terrible, but they put on these goggles and now they're in this alternate reality and they get to be whoever they want to be. They go by a different name. They have different attributes. You can level up your person. Like their life in normal life is terrible. They're a nobody going nowhere, no time fast. But as soon as they put those goggles on, they're a superhero. How cool is that? Sign me up, you know. Um, and then this is one of the last sort of notes that I want to say is if you tell somebody to try and figure something out a certain way, I can almost guarantee you that that young person will not do that thing. If, a, a, if any help or hope has to come from anyone, it, it cannot come from a place of authority. Now, that's not to say that if you're a grandmother or a grandfather or a parent or whatever, and you say you should do this, they may listen to you because there's that relationship or whatever. So don't, don't just stop uh, advising things. But if it's, you're doing this because I'm your dad and I said so. The likelihood of them wanting to do it, very low. The likelihood of them actually doing it, even lower. So it cannot come from a place of authority. I love these cheesy signs. Um, I want to get this bumper sticker on my car because I believe in it so much. I've seen t-shirts with this. No Jesus, no hope. But if you know Jesus, you know hope. But it's true. If you don't care about anything, it is impossible to find hope in anything. It's impossible. So, there is hope. And He has a name. And His name is Jesus. And He lived a perfect life. Not to say nana nana boo boo. But Hebrews says that we don't have a high priest who cannot relate to us, but in every way was tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. That's not to say that He did it and you can't. I'm telling you, you're not going to be perfect like Jesus. You're not going to be able to do some of the things that Jesus did. But Jesus was tempted just as you are. Jesus is, is He had a similar experience as a young person, like some of the young people have today. He faced some struggles. He faced challenges. He was tempted in the wilderness. But he was fully God. And he showed that we can overcome this world through a relationship and a filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
There is hope. And His name is Jesus. Not the Jesus that is just this other guy who was a nice teacher or whatever. Jesus Christ of the Bible is the hope of the world. And I will say that until I die. There is no other hope except in Jesus. Not in alcohol, not in drugs, not in TV, not in video games, not in friends, nothing. All of that stuff will let you down. But Jesus Christ is the true hope for this generation. So mom, dad, grandparent, don't try to help, don't try to figure your kid out. Give them Jesus. Love them well. And when they come to you, you pray with them. You read Scripture with them. You help them find a way to figure it out through Jesus. No more copping out and using Google. No more looking up what so-and-so says about why my 13-year-old just punched a kid in the face. Go to Jesus with them. We need more Jesus. Jesus said, believe me, verse 11 here, John 14, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works. Right? So, believe in Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So, let's go to God, right? God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and its swelling. No matter what's going on, no matter what turmoil you might be going on in your life, God is your refuge, God is your strength, and He is a very present help in a time of need. He's there. Psalms also says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. This generation goes from one heartbreak to the next, to the next, to the next, because they think this will help, this will help, this will help. The Lord is a very present help in a time. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. On the last day of the feast in John chapter 7, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. There is no hope except through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. There is no other hope than the Holy Spirit of God. So, what now? Alright, so there's three groups. Group number one is me, right? I'm this weird in-between, okay? I'm, uh, I deal with young people all the time, but I'm also in the church, okay? So what do we do? Uh, I'm here to be like your translator, your, me- your, your meteor, meteor guy, medium dude, right? Uh, mediator. Uh, hey, I'm a meteor too. In this age, we can be whatever we want. So here's my advice to the other two groups in this situation. Okay? Here's my advice to the other groups. So group two is the older church crowd. All right, so I'm going to talk to the church here. The older church crowd. Here is my advice to you. I have five things. 
for you to think about. Five things. Give this young generation the gospel. The gospel. I was going to ask, but I have it up there, so you're going to cheat anyways. Does anybody know where the gospel comes from? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. And I'm going to read this really quick, I think. Alright, now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaimed, this is Paul speaking, which I proclaimed as good news to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. Amen. If you hold fast the word which I proclaim to you as good news, unless you believed for nothing, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. What's the gospel? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. It is okay to tell young people that they are sinners. It's okay, sweetie. You're, you're a beautiful flower. And Mama loves you. No! They're a dirty, rotten sinner. I hate to say it that way, but I am too. I was, a, I was as lost as you can get. And then I met Jesus. So if we tell this generation, you're fine, you're good, don't worry about it, you're okay, they're never going to search for Jesus. They're never going to be open to, to Him being the only way if they think that they're just, I'm fine. I'm just messed up, man. I'm just, I got my own things, man. No. Buddy, you have this sin nature inside of you. And it's okay, right? Because everybody else does. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. There's only one hope. His name is Jesus. And let me encourage you in this. Be the church that young people need, not the church that they want. Amen. Be the church that young people need. Speak the truth. Speak the gospel. In Timothy, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and teaching. Be patient, but tell them what they need to hear. And be the church that they need to go to. The third one is put your pride down and love your grandchildren. Man, it would be good to see you a lot more. Man, I wish you'd come around, stranger. You know what that makes them want to do? Not be with you. Is that okay to say? And just because their you know, childhood is different from yours doesn't mean that it's less or worse. Just because your kid plays video games doesn't mean that they're a loser. Just because your kid doesn't like to spend 12 hours outside, I can't, Luke does though, Chris, that's, yep, your son does. Just because your kid doesn't like to go throw rocks at buildings or whatever, or play on train tracks, that doesn't mean that their childhood is, is less than yours. So don't try and turn them into you. Try and turn them into the man of God or the, daughter, the, the, the lady of God that they should be. Right? Okay, uh, number four, be interested in what they're interested in. Oh, man. Hey, y'all come out here and shoot some guns with me. 
I'm not really into guns, Grandpa. Right? So, like, we're trying to force them to be into this awesome stuff. And it is awesome, right? But, like, why not ask them what they're into? Give it a shot, right? Uh, And know this, that video games are not the mark of the beast. Just want to say that. Um, Fifth one is listen well and lead well. So a good leader is a good listener, in my opinion, right? Um, Ask questions and they will open the door, right? If you just ask them questions, they'll let you in. All right, younger church folk, we got some high schoolers, we got some middle schoolers, we've got some whoever schoolers, homeschoolers, right? Woo-hoo. I asked a homeschooler, what grade are you in? And he was like, I just do, I go to the kitchen, I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough? Fair enough. All right, so five things for the younger church family. Listen, believe it or not, I know that you're 18 and you know everything, but you don't know anything. And I'm speaking that as somebody who has thought in the past, I got this. And my dad was like, told you, like if you would have just asked or if you would have just, you know. So listen, young people, please listen. When your family's giving you advice, take it to heart, right? Um, do not conform to this world. This world will try and give you so many awesome things, so many experiences, and go and do your thing. But Romans 12 says, Do not conform to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because at the end of this world is death. the end of this world, you might find riches and fame and glory, but how many super famous people have ended their own life because they were miserable? So the second one is kind of like that one, is be content in the Lord and not the world. Um, I have come to this conclusion in my life, you, you may be different from me, but if it's not in the Bible, then I don't want anything to do with it. You might say, well, you're going to miss out on the move of God. If it's not in Scripture, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I, I'm good. I, I, I've been there, I've kind of done that, I've lived it a little bit, but... I'm going to tell you right now that there are so many things out there that are welcoming your kids that if you don't give them the foundation of the Word of God, they're going to get sucked into who knows what. So please don't be ashamed to say, if it's not in the Bible, I don't want anything to do with it. Serve those around you. Young people, please serve. Get started, young man. I've, I've been all around the world for God. And I was in nothing but a trash heap with the world. And God has done things with me and through me that I couldn't imagine. And then my favorite uh, verse in the whole entire Bible is Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is the power unto salvation for all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. If you're a Christian and you go to school or you're around other young people, don't be ashamed to say that you're a Christian. Please. Don't be ashamed to say, yeah, I go to church on Sunday night. Or, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, um, I got to go to like a thing. What is it, like a funeral? No. Kinda. <laughs> I got to go, I gotta go to youth group. So I can't, I can't hang out. I know it's stupid. My mom wants me to go. 
Does that make anybody else want to come to church? Man, what are you, what are you doing Sunday? Okay, nothing? Okay, awesome. So I go to this youth group, and there's this guy. His name is Christian. He's really weird, but he's kind of fun too at the same time. So you should totally come with me because we have an awesome time at youth. And if you come, they have food. They, they will give you drinks and stuff. We eat a ton of sugar. And you could learn about Jesus. If you're not excited about it, why would they be? So, think about that. All right, so here's our foundation, the Lord, right? It's the food pyramid, but not. So, the foundation of everything has to be the Lord. Has to be that relationship, that salvation in Jesus Christ. Christ alone, the grace alone faith alone. That's it. It's the Lord. God is the foundation. And I say next to that is learn from the Bible. Teach the Bible. If you learn something in youth group, young people, or if you learn something sitting here listening to Pastor John, go and share that with somebody. Older people, if you, if God has given you something from private time in the Word or here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night where you're going through Revelation or whatever, and you think your young person might be interested in it even a little bit, share that with them. And in doing so, you might, and you might spark something in them that starts a life change for them. But it starts with biblical teaching and learning. And from that, I think we are able to love one another well. Right. If you have this foundation in the Lord, if you have a foundation of Scripture, right, I think you're able to love people really well. But if you just come from a place of authority, you're going to do it because I said so. If you come at it from, buddy, I've been there and I've done that. And let me tell you, at the end of all of this comes disappointment, shame, fear, all that stuff. But if you go this way, if you go the way of the Lord, if you simply give your life to Jesus, man, there's freedom. There's hope. You can really love people that way. And then finally, after you're able to do all that stuff, I think as, as a Christian, we should never just sit in church. I think the pinnacle of being a Christian is to serve God. Not Pastor John, not Pastor Brian, not Trinity Community Church. You're serving God. And the way that you do that might be through VBS. The way that you serve God might be through playing music or singing. The way that you serve God might be by just setting up some coffee in the mornings and, and smiling at people and handing out bulletins. That's how you serve God. People are just the way that you show it. So the foundation has to be Jesus. Has to be a relationship with Christ. Then you get into that Bible and you tear it apart. Right? And from that comes love. Loving people so well that it sets you apart from the world. The world will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And then finally, serve. Get active in the church. There are so many things here that you can get involved with. I just hate kids. Well, I like my kids, right? It's hard for me to love a whole bunch of other kids, right? 
I know nursery is not going to be it for me. But I love people. Right? Even, even little people. I love people. I love sharing the word of God with people. Right? So I asked Pastor John, how can I serve in teaching and preaching? And how can I serve in this and that? Um, and I'm blessed to be able to do this today. So I've given you all a lot to think about. Hopefully you have someone in your life, young or old, that you can love well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful today to have this chance to be together with our family here. One body, one mind, one accord. Lord, I'm sick of seeing people talk about this young generation saying there's no hope or they're gone or they're really ruining everything that we fought to to build. Because God, if we're honest with ourselves, every generation that doesn't know Jesus has destroyed everything that they've touched. From Adam and Eve all the way to the book of Revelation and everything in between. Anytime we are outside of the will of God, we destroy whatever we touch. But Lord, when, I, when we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our life, to, to point out where we are wrong, then we can take the speck out of our neighbor's eye. Then we can tell our, our child or our grandchild or our parents or our grandparents where they may be off. But God, it has to come from a place of humility, of grace, of love. Help us to love each other well. We love You, Father. I thank You, Lord, that Your Word will not return unto You void, but it will accomplish that which You please. Father, help us to leave this place completely different and share You with this world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.